Hello everybody, thank you very much for downloading this week's episode of the Cinema Catch-Up Club. This is just to let you know that the Cinema Catch-Up Club has an official Patreon page. If you'd like to become an official member of the club and get some bonus goodies, including early access material and bonus features only available to our patrons, then please join up at patreon.com forward slash ccuc podcast. And now for this week's episode. Hello everybody, and welcome to the Cinema Catch-Up Club, the podcast for films that you probably should have seen by now. I am your host, Stephen Platt. Thank you very much for downloading this week's episode. And this week, we are watching The Martian because it's turning five years old. That's right, the film The Martian is already five years old. Um, It feels like just yesterday we were all trying to figure out how to get Mark Watney home, and yet here we are. So joining me, as always, we have someone who has seen the film and someone who has not. Our guest who has not seen the film, it is Dr. Sarah Curtis. Hello, Stephen. How are you, uh, Dr. Sarah? I'm pretty good. How are you? I'm I'm, I'm doing well, yeah. It's getting towards the end of the year. The weather's uh, pretty good. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. I'm pretty good. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Here on Earth, at least, the weather's good. Though. Yes, yes. We're not sure about that Martian weather right now. Guess we'll find out. What do you know about the Martian, though? Because you have not seen this I film. I have not seen this film. Is this, okay, is this the one with Matt Damon in it? Yes. <laughs> yeah, good. <laughs> okay, that's, that's pretty much all I know. Mm. Um, yeah, he's alone on Mars mm-hmm. for a while. He has to figure out how to grow stuff to, to survive. I don't know. I guess it's based on a book. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm doing so good right now. Yeah, no, yeah. It's, look, it's it's again. That's the point of the program. If you if you don't know anything about the film, that is, I'm going in A-okay. pretty blank. Yeah, um, with science fiction, mm-hmm. um, because this is this is science fiction. Even though, uh, as I'm sure we'll get onto in a little bit, it's got a lot of science fact uh, built into it. Um, where, where do you sit on sci-fi? I'm a huge sci-fi fan, so I'm pretty shocked I haven't seen this film. Mm. Um, you know, I I quite enjoy sci-fi. Um, I like the escapism of it as well as, you know, the realness of the characters um, in a lot of sci-fi and, you know, the fun that can come out of it as well. Um, and, you know, just the, the way that the worlds are constructed or deconstructed mm. um, to sort of have a reflection on society, on to, uh, today's society. Okay. And if you could go to a planet in the solar system, because I feel like just that's the relevant. Solar system? Just the solar system. Mm, I'm going to okay. say planet, moon, or other astrological body, um, or astronomical. I always forget which is which. Astrology is the one that's Pisces, right? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> a Gemini and a Pisces. That's right. Uh, yeah. Sorry, astronomical body. If you could go to something that's floating out there, where, where would you like to go? Um, I feel pretty bad for Pluto, because, you know, Pluto was a planet, and then wasn't a planet, and um. then... So, you know, I just feel so bad. I'll go to Pluto and just, like, hang out and be like, yo, bro, it's fine. Like, we still love you. You're cool. Excellent. Okay, well, joining us as a guest who has seen the film, uh, and first time on the program this year, I believe, it is um, PhD candidate Philip Hutton. Hello. Yes, uh, I, I've realised after giving uh, Dr. Sarah her title that you needed one. Uh, what's it's, your? It's what's... still Mr. <laughs> it's still Mr. for now. Hey, <laughs> one day it one will day. be. Soon. Yes. Um, what, what's your PhD on, actually? Um, my, my PhD is um it's a it's a kind of uh, morphology sort of study like into uh, the way that character has changed um, especially in re- like terms of involving scientific fact and fact-based discourse mm. so to speak yeah 
And you have seen The Martian. Yes, I've seen The Martian a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot, yeah. Okay, so in, in a vague, non-spoilery sort of way, what can people like Sarah, who have not seen this film, uh, what can they expect if they're about to watch The Martian? Oh, I think that's a... Oh, no spoilers, I don't know. I don't know if this is a spoiler or not, but it's it's definitely in that legacy of films that it makes you wonder if there's if there's a film being made where a character must get incredibly lost and at incredible cost the idea is proposed to rescue them. I think they are obligated to give that, to offer it to Matt Damon first. You mm. know, the, the whole... I, I agree. And that is something I did yeah, know it's, about it's this a, film. It's, yeah. it's in that genre of film of lost Matt Damon films. Yeah, like, <laughs> yeah. there's there's a few of them. <laughs> America puts a lot of money into yeah. getting Matt Damon home. Look, he's, he's great. Who else is going to play Loki in a stage play? Like, that's... It's, <laughs> he's his re- best role today. He's really important. Um, so, Philip... Uh, the, the reason we've got you on for The Martian isn't just because you're a fabulous person to hang out with. Oh, thank you. Um, but The Martian has actually formed part of your PhD level research. Yes, um, in particular the novel, not so much the movie, mm. but the novel uh, written by Andy Weir and I think published originally in 2011 and then again in 2014. That uh, informs, it, you know, the, the movie does an, an amazing job of, you know, using that as a source okay. text. So but there, that, are, there are subtle differences, tiny differences, none okay. that really matter. Because uh, that, that is something I do want to jump on, um, uh, probably in the review half of this yeah. of this uh, program, is about the difference between the book and the film. Because... Although I've also got a question, if it's been released twice in a couple of years, is that because there's differences? Did he update and change something? Is that why it was sort of republished? Uh, no, I think I believe I believe it was first published by the author himself on on a on like a platform where you self publish, and mm. then the success of the story led it to being republished officially nice. with a publishing house. Mm. Good job, excellent, good question though. Thank you. Point zero. Um, <laughs> and before we get into uh, watching the film, Philip, astronomical body in the solar system. Where where do you want to go? That's that that's really tricky. Um, oh, Titan. It, oh yeah, yeah. I think. Good I, I, personally, I, I'd be happy with any holiday to any destination, but I feel like I could do something useful for someone if I was on Titan, mm. like, like take a scientific reading. If yeah. they let me. Touch I mean, I mean, this is an interesting stuff. question, and I think we should ask Stephen in a second as well where he would go. Mm-hmm. But yeah, you know, I do want to state that for me, like, I'm more of a star person than a planet person. Mm. So like, if I went somewhere, like, I would uh, obviously, you know, die anyway. But I would die real bad. Um, because you know I'm being like thrown into like a burning gas giant, mm. uh, but Star. you know it's still <laughs> worth it. I'd yeah. say. Anyway, Stephen, yes. what would you? Where would you go? Yes. Um, I would go probably to Enceladus. Um, it's one of the moons of Saturn that uh, it, I kind of feel like for the same reason as Titan. I feel as though it's one of those moons that we've earmarked as being like. Interesting. Future real estate. <laughs> Very future <laughs> real estate. But I, I, I remember reading uh, a lot about it a few years ago, um, and specifically that Enceladus has got a lot of very unique um sort of uh geological properties to it. Um and some some geysers that sound like they'd be quite fun to see that are I be- I can't remember if it's they shoot diamond or they shoot some frozen material. I mean if it's diamond shouldn't it be a galza because diamonds are a gal's best friend. It should. On point, Sarah. Yeah, it <laughs> absolutely should. Uh so yeah, for me it would be it would be Enceladus. But again, you know, w- the world's in lockdown right now. So, you know, even the moon. I'd take the moon. <laughs> Wouldn't we all? Yeah. The corner store. <laughs> yes. Uh so, all that being said, shall we watch the Martian? Yes. Yes, we shall. All right, for those of you listening at home, uh, pop in those DVDs, and I really hope 
that you like potatoes as we prepare to watch The Martian. Welcome back, everybody. We have just finished watching The Martian. And by we, I mean uh, prospective doctor, Mr. Philip Hutton. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and uh, actually a doctor, because they've got their degree, uh, Dr. Sarah Curtis. Yep, I'm a doctor. And I am also a potential future doctor, Stephen Platt. This uh, is, uh, you know, a pretty impressive team here. Yeah, we've got, uh, we've got one PhD between the three of us. <laughs> One and, well, well, nearly, you know. Yeah. I suppose if you add half and half and, well, three quarters and three quarters. Yeah. That's a lot of math going on. More maths. Too much maths. math for me. Yeah. Almost as much maths as was in The Martian, hey. uh, Sarah. It was your first time watching it. What did you think? I loved it. Like, oh, yeah. I was not expecting it to be so funny. Mm. Like, I laughed far too much. And I've developed a snort laugh in the last few months, which yes, is I, hilarious. I wasn't going to bring it up. But, <laughs> I can yeah. see your judgment every time I do it. <laughs> no, but I, I snort laugh as well sometimes. Um, not not as um, not as frequently. Uh, frequently, I'm going to go with. <laughs> but yeah, so this, this is quite a funny film. And th- mm. this was my first time watching it properly as well. Um, not, not because I was like, oh, this doesn't look like it's up my alley. It's totally up my alley. Um, I just had never got round to watching it, um, but yeah, it, it it is a it is a very funny film and uplifting. Like the last space film I watched was Interstellar. Mm. Oh lord, yeah, <laughs> and you know, like I've somehow watched that twice and and sobbed through it both times. It's a it, that yeah. I mean, Matt Damon's in that one as well, isn't it? Like he plays yeah. once again another stranded person on a far-flung planet <laughs> Matt Damon different mm. vibes in Interstellar <laughs> yeah slightly slightly different angles they were for in that one existential crisis of the human race mm. Mm. Philip uh, when we finished watching this uh, the first thing you said was I really like this film and I think we got that from your sense before but did you gain anything new from this most recent watching of it was there anything that jumped out at you this time every time I watch it so this is probably about the 20th time I've watched this film like, yeah, every time I watch it, there's there's more details that come up, little tiny things. Um, but but at this point, we're talking nitpicky details. Mm. All right, what well, go on, pick those nits. What, uh, what did you find? Well, there was a, there was a scene where they had just done the gravity assist around Earth, and we're returning to Mars. And my brain, I'm sure they haven't made a mistake this bad. Wondered if they were going the wrong way around our planet, because it seemed that they were going against the orbit of Earth, which would slow you down rather than accelerate you towards Mars. That's a good point. But I don't know. I I could have been misunderstanding what I was seeing. It could have been upside down. It it could have been. And the the thing is, is um, I think this film does a really great job. I think this point leads exactly to it, of what you just said, of it portrays so much of what is known of science in terms of like you know hard and fast rules and then it, it sort of it displays them in such a way that then when you get to the more complex uh, mechanical components of things like um astrophysics or um botany or these different th- or these different sort of disciplines of science i think they do a really good job in communicating what the idea is in terms of the plot of the film um it's essentially this is the idea here's a way of explaining it we're going to use two human beings to represent the planets and to prove that it'll work i'm going to say 
I did the maths, it checks out. And that's basically, or I math. Did, I did the math. Yeah, because yeah. it's American. <laughs> um, and they say that a lot. And uh, But but the thing is, is I, I trust. Yeah, they're the trustworthy film. people. Yeah. Uh, like, you know, you look at the actors with their eyes going, yeah, I did the math. I'm like, yeah, he did yeah. the math. He, he, he was sitting in that computer room and it, the computer did say calculation complete. Yes, so. it did. <laughs> <laughs> Just in case we missed it. Maybe yeah. that was the math. Yeah. Uh, it, it's such an interesting film because on the one hand, it feels as though the 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 the, pro- the proposition of of the plot essentially is this is almost like a how to guide of if you are in a Matt Damon situation if you are stuck on Mars and this is what you've got this is how you survive and it feels almost it could have been certainly I think presented in a way like a more serious like Bear Grylls style man versus the universe sort of presentation I feel as though the use of humor. And not just the direct humour of Mark Watney, but the the sort of um, more subtle humour that's with all the other characters and how they interact, uh, particularly um, Sean Bean's character um, with uh, Jeff Daniels between yeah. Mitch and Teddy. There's some really great humour in there. And I almost feel as though that... I really liked it, but I could see a viewing of this film where it would undercut the general message, I, I suppose. But then again... The original book, um, as, as of course um, I'm sure you can tell us more, Philip, um, it, it uses that that humour as well. Like, this is not a, this is not a this is how you escape Mars. This is more kind of like a a what if that gets very out of hand. Definitely, um, in the and I, I, if I'm going to do that thing, that be that person that goes well in the book. Oh, mm-hmm. um, yeah, right. the book very much. Um, I, Whoever was in charge of adapting this, I don't know if that was Ridley Scott himself. Um, they've done an amazing job. Like a, a lot of the textual fidelity is right there, and I'd say it only really starts to deviate from the book itself in the last few scenes. Right. Uh, the book is actually quite meta in how it deals with that sort of difference. Uh, Watney himself in the book, when he's being launched out into space makes a comment that if this were a movie, it would be Commander Lewis who comes out of the ship to save me. And uh, it's not in the book because that would be against regulation. But in the movie, why not? Commander Lewis is indeed the one who decides at the last minute I'm going to go out and save him. I mean, you know, from a a film perspective, she's the one who left him behind, so she should be the one to save him. Absolutely. But I imagine anyone who would be in the the Air Force or the NASA space program would say, no, 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 the commander will stay in the bridge at all times. And... uh, Beck would be the person to go out and get him. Hmm. Uh, but I, I don't have any problem with that. I thought it was like, it's one of the most emotional scenes in it, seeing Commander Lewis just, you know, charging out there to save her long-lost crew member. Hmm. So I, I don't think any adaptation that was made took away from any sort of, like, science fact-based discourse, hmm. but uh, definitely worked to bring out that more human element of the story, just like, you know, the characters, why we love them, how they're psychologically dealing with everything. So, yeah, keeping that in, that's good. Yeah, and uh, the, coincidentally, the um, the adaptation uh, of this, uh, the script writer for this film is, is not Andy Weir, obviously, because he's the novel writer. Uh, it is the screenwriter Drew Goddard, um, who is probably best known for being a writer on Cloverfield and The Cabin in the Woods and uh, World War Z. Um, and also uh, uncredited for Deadpool 2, I'm reading in this list. Oh. Um, but yes, he's he's written... He also wrote uh, earlier in his television days for shows like Buffy the Vampire Slayer, Angel, Alias, uh, Lost, 
yeah, yeah that all checks out yeah, yeah. so um yeah um in, in pretty good hands I would iconic say. characters yeah <laughs> i really want to watch alias again now yes. alias was good um mark watney is obviously the main character of this film um and sarah how 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 did you find watney in terms of as as a i guess the protagonist as our sort of bruce willis with quips i guess uh, this sort of person who's just like surviving on the on the edge of life and death but uh, referencing how much he hates disco the whole time how how did you find him i related a lot <laughs> to him like apart from the, the the science and math stuff like i would face it let's face it i would die quite quickly mm-hmm. uh, if myself I was as well yes. in that situation um so uh, anytime soul 20 i was a corpse yeah, yeah I'm, go- I'm, go- I'm gone like i i might have been able to you know do that surgery um, right at the beginning but that's about as far as i would make i think mm. um just on past experience uh, I'm, cu- I'm curious to know what surgery sarah's performed on herself now. you don't want to know <laughs> okay <laughs> um but uh, but yeah I, I mean i found like all whenever he started making a joke about you know his imminent death and just how you know his existential crises um all of them and just the jokes that he he made I'm sitting there going, yeah, I'd make that same joke. I'd make a really inappropriate comment right now about someone else's music taste because mm. what else are you going to do? Like, okay. are you going to sit there and cry about it? Or no. are you just going to get up and, you know, make do with what you got? Mm. Yeah, I, I really enjoyed um, Matt Damon's performance in this. Um, he's, yeah, it's just a really, it, it's a really compelling character for I think maybe the reasons that we don't always find characters compelling because I feel as though Mark Watney as a protagonist does a very good job of kind of um, kind of letting you really imagine yourself in the situation Um, you know other films like this where it's like a single person alone against you know the odds um, something like The Revenant for example with Leonardo DiCaprio yeah, yes. um, which was actually the same year as this film um, I believe um, both Matt Damon and Leonardo DiCaprio were nominated for the same uh, Best Actor Award for these two roles oh were they? yeah who had the best beard? <sighs> yeah and obviously Leo won eventually um, he had the best beard got, got his Oscar but, but I think it's interesting whereas in The Revenant I don't feel as though that film is set up to make you go yes how would I survive fighting a bear um, or in the wilderness oh straight out The Revenant I would yeah. survive less in The Revenant <laughs> than I would on Mars and that's yeah. on Earth but you know Alaska Mars yeah. you, oh, yeah. one is far more dangerous yeah. <laughs> um, but I feel as though Mark Watney is such a the performance from Matt Damon and the writing of it it allows you to inhabit Watney, I think, oh, absolutely. easier. Absolutely. I think he's very much uh, Robinson Crusoe 2015, hmm. so to speak, like a, a character that is recognisable, iconic, but it's definitely a self-insert, not not for the author, for the, for the reader. Hmm. So to say, well, this is the role you shall participate in. Yeah. This is the perspective you will favour. Even I find when you watch the movie The Martian, you, you, you get other characters, but definitely you support Mark the most. Like Mm. he's, unless you happen to maybe work in aerodynamics or as a flight controller, you might, you Mm. know, relate with one of the other secondary characters. But definitely, I think more than anyone else, it's Mark who's the relatable one. Yeah, if you're the current head of NASA, you're probably looking at Jeff Daniels going, oh, mate. (laughs) I feel you. The rest of this cast is pretty great as well. Um, We were saying as the credits were rolling, boy, there's a lot of 
relatively big name actors in this film. Mm, um, obviously, definitely. You've got, uh, Jeff Daniels, we just said. Uh, Sean Bean. Didn't die. Who doesn't die? Oh, a see, a living was... Sean Bean. Like, that is something that, that was spoiled for me, by the way, <laughs> right so at the sorry. beginning. Yeah. Like, as we're, as we're starting, we haven't even seen, like, the, the title come across the screen. And suddenly it's like, oh, yeah, you know, what was it you said, Philip? Something but, about... Um, well, that Neil deGrasse Tyson had described this as perhaps the only science fiction story in which no one dies. Yeah, spoiler alert. I'm so sorry, Technically, Sarah. that's Neil deGrasse Tyson's fault. I'm not. Well. This is why I'm not allowed out of the house. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, yeah, Sean Bean doesn't die. And, um, it, again, it's, it's a lot of relatively big-name actors in quite small roles in terms Benedict of Benedict Wong time. as well was so another favourite yeah. of mine. Kristen Wiig. Yeah, Kristen Wiig. Um, obviously, uh, Donald Glover, right at the... Uh, I'd almost say right at the beginning of his, like, meteoric rise to... Suddenly he's in everything. Yeah, to who's this guy? To it's Donald Glover. He's the most important person on the earth, apparently. <laughs> um, but, again, he's really great in it. Um, yeah, it, it is a really well well-performed film mm. um, and I think the thing that they do particularly well which again comes to the writing but also um, I think the performance is really important particularly with um, uh, Chiwetel Ejiofor as um, Vincent uh. they, they really bring across that um, that that emotional core that emotional resonance that you were saying that um, I think that maybe if you were reading a screenplay of this it could come across as a little dry mm. maybe at least in terms of, yeah, I, th- I think they, they really brought some some of the emotional side to what is a very numbers and sort of technical language heavy film. Yeah, I'd agree with that. And, you know, watching them, you know, tr- make these decisions and sort of wondering how people would actually make them in real life. I mean, all of that manpower and money to get one guy back. Um, you know, even though you're sitting there going, yeah, absolutely, we totally do that. Then yeah. you think, you know what? Mm. They probably wouldn't make that choice. Do you reckon? Yeah, I I don't have much faith in humanity. Um, while I'm sitting there going, yeah, you know, if I was on the crew, I would totally make the same call to go back for him. Mm-hmm. But I can't see people in power caring enough about one person. Mm. It's tricky. I feel um, the dreamer in me, you know, the side that listened to John Lennon growing up, would uh, like love the idea of us just dropping everything and telling everyone that they're going to be working overtime until Mark Watney's back. Mm. I feel like uh, perhaps that would be possible if they could have a more utilitarian excuse for doing it. So mm. they coupled it with another mission or something. Uh, yeah. Perhaps I, I, I dream, maybe, hopefully, uh, and if wonderful people are in charge of these decisions, yeah, we would go back for anyone who's left alone on a planet. We wouldn't want them to die alone. But yeah, who knows? I mean, the, the whole... Um maneuver that is used to rescue him i think was was easily the most farcical thing not not because of the numbers um i would disagree we yeah. did have this conversation while watching the film the the most the the, the fantasy element uh, the most sci-fi part of it um was when suddenly we have the americans and the chinese working together getting along yeah international mm. harmony yeah i think that's definitely there's the work of fiction right there okay yeah true true yes maybe the the secret bit of uh, propulsion technology that the Chinese had access to, and them going, oh, but we should. <laughs> we'll share it. Yeah, <laughs> to, but I agree. Yeah. Um, what you're just saying was the the second most you know fictitious part of it. Yeah, <laughs> but also I I I mean that's a this is science fiction. I know that I know that we're looking at this and going, but it's based in so much reality. But it's still a story. You know, we haven't got to the 2030s yet. We haven't got to the point in our. Um, 
in our, in our space tech where we have the things that they have in this film on Mars. I mean, this film starts... I'm presuming they're not the first people on Mars. No, they're so, the third crew. Yeah, so it's kind of like some way down the line. But I think this film does a really good job of hiding the fact that it's science fiction. Mm. I think partly because it seems so grounded in the world that we knew at the time the film was coming out. The idea of like, you know, 2015 and for example, you know, people standing in crowds and functioning governments were really... Yeah, so another of, fantasy yeah. element there. But, but we had them at the time. That's the thing. Like we, we, we oh, the good know. old days. We didn't know. Uh, <laughs> we but, had no idea it was coming. Yeah. But, um, but even disregarding that, I, I suppose it's that thing of... Does it... Is this a good science fiction film? I guess. Well, I guess it depends on on what you define a good science fiction film as being. Yeah, because I, 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 I'm not saying this is not a good film, and I actually think this is a very good science fiction film myself. But I do have a feeling that if you pulled a random person off the street who'd seen The Martian, and then you went, yeah, it's a science fiction film, they'd probably have that moment of going, like, is it? Because... It's got Martian in the title. Yeah. It's so recognisably us. The, the the culture and the world that's portrayed in it. It's yeah. like, oh, that's our world. It, with the just extreme difference of major national groups are getting along and mm. we have managed to reach another celestial body. Yeah. I, I mean, I, it's, it's hard to think, is like um, we were talking earlier, is it speculative fiction or science fiction? Is there even a difference between those terms? Yeah. Um, I think it's great science fiction because... Mm it's so similar to us. Yeah. Uh, I don't think science fiction requires a Lovecraftian sleeping eldritch god to awaken in the ocean for us to go, oh, okay, well, now it's science fiction. Now it's okay. Mm-hmm. Um, no, subtle differences. Small things that can change, such as, oh, we have access to Mars. That's mm-hmm. that's great. And a whole story can unfold from it. That's, that's awesome. Yeah, I absolutely agree. I think it's... I just think it's coated in, in so much of what we know. Um, that it that it just I, I think it's a real almost sort of like it's sneakily science fiction despite being very upfront. <laughs> I, I just think it's such such an interesting delivery method. Um, and also, you know, Ridley Scott is directing this film, who is science fiction film royalty. Oh, when I think of someone directing a space story, he's he's one of the first three I think of mm. naturally because of Aliens. I, I, yeah. Um, the other being George Lucas, mm-hmm. but slightly different you know yeah well again <laughs> space fantasy space yeah. fantasy yeah exactly it's 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 that thing of like when you think of what a science fiction film should be i i, I believe more people jump straight to the star wars style of pew 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 colors the ships make noise in space you know all those kind of things or perhaps uh john carter the the film adaptation yeah. of that novel the princess of mars in which you know we can breathe on mars we can jump there are aliens who conveniently speak our language, mm. or yeah, who we can we communicate with. Also oh. reviewed. Yeah. Oh, have you? <laughs> yeah, we, we did it uh, last year, and I have to say, this is a much more enjoyable Martian experience. Yeah, it's it's yeah, out of my, the two Martian experiences I've had on this podcast, yeah. uh, this one is definitely an improvement. Mm. Um, a demonstration of how much we've learned about Mars in the last 120 years, maybe, and also like yeah, true. our own limitations. Or... So, so we're saying, uh, Andy, we're way better than Edgar Rice Burroughs. Is that what I can take from your reading? Um, in my opinion? <laughs> yes. Yeah. Well, uh, in terms of, uh, uh, what, what would the word be? Is it verisimilitude? Uh, verisimilitude. Ah, that's not, uh, yeah. you know, uh, accuracy kind of um, 
authentic mm. representation of reality. Um, I think I don't think anyone reads Princess and Mars or watches John Carter and thinks this is what Mars is actually like. Mm. No, but you do definitely get that feeling when you watch The Martian. Mm. Uh, speaking of authors, Philip, you have spoken to Andy Weir. I have. In the past, as part of your studies. Privileged enough to have an email correspondence with the man. He, mm. was, he was very helpful. Okay, um, well, the first two questions then. Uh, question number one is, what was that like? And question number two is... Um, was your email correspondence anything like the correspondence with Mark Watney, where there was lots of swear words and people being told? <laughs> oh, oh, right. So um, the, the first question, what was it like? It was, it was wonderful. It was awesome. Um, it was one of those, those first moments you realize when you're doing like um, postgraduate study that you, you can actually approach some people in this modern world. Who, you know, the idea of being able to get into contact with them once upon a time would have just been impossible. But internet saved the day. Um, it was... Uh, yeah, it was great to talk to him. Um, and no, I definitely didn't swear. Like, you know, temptation being there, just because I swear a lot. But uh, this, I had to go through like that wonderful mahogany covered ethics department at, at uni. And I, I, just in case someone ever went through and went, okay, so what did our student actually say to this writer from another country? And just, uh, yeah, I wanted to make sure it seemed professional yeah. and nice. Yes. And for those of you who have not uh, taking part in an ethics uh, application at university <laughs> be thankful uh, it is a very strenuous um, ac- ac- activity what it, are you it, saying it's the best mm. absolutely <laughs> all praise the ethics department well no i mean it, it, the ethics department here's my official like disclaimer serves an important function to make sure that all study happens in a way that is ethical and actually proper for the university yeah, so, that's true. so the study itself is valid the ethics department remains a very important part of the university but that also doesn't mean that it is a pain in the ass for researchers to engage with, but it is sort of just one of those known quantifiables. Um, I just clearing the air on that. <laughs> Make sure we're ethical. The, the, we the, like the, ethics. We just yeah. don't like the forms to make us yeah. ethical. Yeah. The forms. Yes. <laughs> yes. But you know what? crucial part of it I, I just want to be very clear just in case anyone from an ethics department is listening I mean, you can edit this out particularly our ethics department yeah. <laughs> yeah look they have a very difficult job because they have a bunch of wackos like you and me going we want to do science fiction and they're like how do we apply ethics to this um but you know what they do their best and we appreciate them for we that. do appreciate them so um when, when you spoke with Andy Weir, obviously I don't want to jump in and be like, tell me your research in this publicly broadcast <laughs> thing. Um, but did, were there any insights that you're able to share that you gained from speaking to the, the author of this story about the book and, of course, the film? Absolutely. Um, the Martian was chosen as a case study text. Um, I, was, I was talking about an idea known as the scientific protagonist. That's what I call it. Uh, a kind of modern trend in fiction. I argue that it's only appeared recently, and that is a protagonist, main character of the story, that can provide an entertaining narrative that doesn't involve violence, war, or at some point beating up another character. Uh, It's really just a case of, no, instead they present a scientific problem, and whilst the audience is kind of like, you know, empathising with them, they solve it, and we can kind of understand. And I thought The Martian was a particularly good example of that, as it had Mm. the protagonist character confronted with a arguably scientific problem of being on another planet, Uh, and just the way that he kind of went about solving it without shooting anyone, which, you know, that's Mm. pretty cool. Except for himself, into space. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, that was pretty cool. Uh, My my conversation with Andy Weir was kind of to figure out um, his opinion on, like, 
that sort of evolving trend and the way that uh, science is represented through the creative arts. Mm. So I would uh, send out these surveys, some to creative authors, some to scientists, identical questions, and just compare the answers that they gave. No, they did not give the same answers at all. Um, mm. But they, it was an incredible amount of research had obviously gone into the Martian. Like I remember starting to fact check the, uh, the book or the, even the movie. And it was holding up to it. It was. There were, there were obviously those, like, the Rich Pennell manoeuvre and stuff like that, the Hermes ships, small elements of the fiction that are fiction. But uh, all the facts relating to Mars, the uh, administrative structure of NASA, so to speak, all those other details, they were very much accurate and uh, exhaustive research had got into it. And I think mm. it, a benefit of having that kind of storytelling come out where... Yeah, they say we did the math, and the only reason I believe them is because that's someone from NASA's aerodynamics department saying that. So mm. there's this kind of like, oh, well, it works. It definitely yeah. enhances the story. Someone who also makes uh, ship noises as he's, you know, explaining <laughs> the math, mm. which, you know, A I human computer. <laughs> yeah, but, but then again, like, I, I know we say it's kind of like, yeah, we trust them. I don't know that there's a way that you do this film with them actually explaining the maths, like with a chart going, no, this is how the angles all work. This is how Donald Glover worked out when falling over. Um, <laughs> like that, that's not entertaining. That's not the point of the story. And I think they, they, they walk that line very well. Um, I, I think this is a, which again, I think is the reason why it comes across as maybe not feeling like a science fiction story because it feels like so much of it is drawn. Almost like a character-led drama. Yeah. Uh, well, yeah, I mean, it just, is. Yeah. And, you know, you've got, um, obviously, um, Mark Watney is, is sort of our, our lead, who's, who's, you know, sat on the planet going, oh, this is another fine mess I've gotten myself into. How do I get out? Tom Hanks will save you, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, you know, um, Jessica Chastain is like Commander Lewis, who is not in the film for a lot of it, right at the beginning, and then obviously the crew are out of it for plot reasons they're not being told um, for, for a while. But I, I found her... Um, character though we only spend a little bit of time with her and the i think you could have potentially had a film about that character oh for sure uh, very different film but you absolutely could have uh, but i thought she was marvelous yeah. i thought I'm, i can't actually think of a single film i've ever seen with her in it that i haven't just been blown away by her performance like as an actress or yeah. actor she's amazing like, yeah but as commander lewis definitely in the, the brief window we get you see a very emotional Person. Yeah, someone making tough calls and yeah. you know having to live with the consequences. Yeah, I mean, with the exception of um, of Michael Pena, uh, that, that none of them go back into space by the looks of it. Um, Another delightful role, yeah. Pena. Like, I, except yes. the problem is, is because of Ant Man, I'm expecting him to talk really fast the whole time. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, I just because he's just got that little cheeky smile. You're just waiting for him to launch into that character. Um, Last thing I saw him in was Fury. Uh, with Brad Pitt, mm. that and it's very dark, heavy sort of. Oh my gosh, this is the, probably the most depressing war film I've ever seen. And this, mm. seeing him in like a much lighthearted role, love it. <laughs> mm. And and of course another Marvel connection with uh, Sebastian Stan, um, the Winter Soldier. Yeah, the Winter Soldier. And I was really worried when um, when Mark Watney said he was going to Iron Man it that he was going to go and kill his parents. <laughs> <laughs> It was just the film was just going to end with him going. It's Iron Man. Turns into their like what the origin story of an alternate universe Marvel. Yeah, um, yeah. Look, this this was really fun. It's just a really fun film. And um, Sarah, I, I guess given 
given, I suppose, given the the nature of this film being so grounded in elements of of what we understand about the real world and and of Mars and things like that, um, would would you be potentially, I suppose, as a casual viewer, interested in consuming stories from science fiction that are more of this nature or, or or would you kind of prefer the sort of more sort of glossy star wars pew pew style i mean i think i i really enjoy both because i love a bit of pew pew and explosions and you know shoom, shoom, lightsabers and defeat shit like that. those dark lords yeah mm. you know a bit of fantasy in space but i think you know seeing something so close to life it has that inspirational an aspirational sort of element to it as well. You can sit there and go, you know, if I were a five-year-old watching this, I might suddenly go, you know what? I do want to be an astronaut. Mm. And I think that's an important sort of film to have where you, you know, inspire the next generation into, you know, important areas and Mm. say, you know what? Biology, it is cool. And, you know, growing food, that is cool. And astrophysics, this is cool. Um, I think that is something we need more of. And, you know, having something so similar that's so different to what I do, I was just thinking before that, you know, I recently did a sports ball film on this podcast. Mm. And, you know, that is also something that I do not do. And when I'm thinking, okay, what would bore me more? Watching people do maths equations or watching people kick a ball around or run a race. I think I'd rather watch the math equations. Mm. Um, and I think I found, you know, I find this sort of story a lot more interesting than, uh, and a lot more relatable than, you know, the same sort of inspirational sports stories. Yeah. Which have, you know, a similar sort, sort of drama behind them. Yeah. It's it's an individual overcoming insurmountable obstacles to achieve glory in adulation with no shooting involved yeah um i have some trivia about the martian uh would you guys like to hear it of course every time okay all of this trivia is sourced from imdb so if it's not true don't blame me although i should also add the caveat some of this trivia is also sourced from nasa probably believe them uh, uh, yeah good I'll source trustworthy yeah. Yeah, they, 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 yeah, they've probably not just gone online and made it up. They did look, the math. Yeah, look, <laughs> I mean, look, the, the Martian trivia page is filled with lots of interesting Mars facts, which I've not included, because a lot of the trivia was just about the red planet. And I I'm want like, the Mars facts. <laughs> they are fascinating. Tell me about the rocks. Yeah, no, they are really fascinating. But we're we're dealing purely with the film. Here. <laughs> um, so we begin. Rich Purnell slips and falls uh, after he finds a way to rescue Mark Watney and tells his boss, I need more coffee. Donald Glover revealed in an interview that he slipped for real and just got up and continued to act, and the footage that was retained um, ended up in the film. It's an excellent stack. It, uh, anytime I hear that an actor has accidentally done something and it stays in the film, mm. I, I love it. I just love it. Yeah. Um, Those are the pure moments. Slipping over, kicking an orc head by accidentally breaking your foot, you know, mm. all these things that you can do. Yeah, things that everybody there. knows. Yeah. <laughs> Ridley Scott claimed that Matt Damon's solo scenes were shot for five weeks straight, after which Damon was relieved from the schedule. Uh, Consequently, Damon did not meet any of his co-stars until the cast were reunited to promote the film. Then how did he film the scenes with the other cast? They, I believe they shot those ones first. Oh! So they do the the group with the six of them, and then he doesn't meet anyone else. That's sad. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, <laughs> when you have such a cast as well, you're like, yeah, yeah I want to get to know these people. You're like excited you're a young actor, you find out you're in a Matt Damon film, you're like, oh, I'm definitely going to be able to grab an autograph at some point. No. Yeah. 
I mean, it's tough on him, though. You know, it's like, yeah. he's essentially just doing like a one-man theater show. Just a very expensive one. Monologuing. And I, I do have to say, though, for me, the thing that really stood out about this film were those sequences of him just doing stuff on the planet. Mm. I think they're, they're so incredibly shot. And the fact that, obviously, a lot of it would have been in front of green screens. Um, even though they had those physical set pieces there of, you know, the habitat. And... I'm so much happier that they chose green screen, though. Like, yeah. um, as an Australian, whenever you've historically seen a Martian film and you're not thinking, oh, this is Mars, you're thinking, this is two hours down the road. And yeah, I've been, I've been to been this there. place before and, oh, there's a wallaby in the background. Um, <laughs> yeah. well, there's the echidna. <laughs> Yeah, well, filming um, took place in a number of different locations. Uh, quite a lot of it took place in, in Hungary. Um, uh, yeah, in, in Budapest, in Hungary. Um, specifically, the winemaking village of Etyek was chosen for filming those um, interior scenes of, of the habitat and things like that. Um, there were about 20 sets that were constructed for the film, which were then filled with their 3D cameras, and they actually grew potatoes. On the, on the set as well so they they had to grow like different stages of like here's a week old potato and here's a two week old potato so that they would have those different sizes mm-hmm. so it was it was a re- it was about as functional a set as you could get um without being on mars i guess uh, and also some of it was also shot in uh jordan um as, as opposed to the the australian outback uh, which yeah as you say is Despite the, its desolate nature, um, it, it's surprisingly teeming with life. Yes. <laughs> Very much recognisable mm. as Earth as well. So. Yes, yes, just just a little bit. Uh, Matt Damon admitted that the scene where Mark uh, was getting emotional upon hearing uh, Commander Lewis's voice was genuine. The other actors had wrapped and gone home, and their pre-recorded voices were actually being played to Damon inside his spacesuit. Uh, when Damon began to think about how his character had been alone on Mars for two years, alongside how he was only hearing pre-recorded voices of his co-stars who had already finished filming everything, he began to tear up. Uh, Ridley Scott was so impressed with Damon's performance, that was the only take that they took. Wow, that's brave. Uh, poor Matt Damon. Mm. Yeah. I feel so, this guy's probably been really lonely. I wonder if Ridley Scott's just kept him in a room for like... I hope they gave him a hug. Yeah. Yeah. I've heard that, like, I don't know if this is true, but I heard that when they shot Saving Private Ryan, he was trained separately to the rest of the actors so mm. that he wouldn't have the sense of camaraderie with them. Poor guy goes mm. through so much. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he's just constantly being left to the side. Yeah, <laughs> you're on your own. What about the friendships that you make, you know, in all the films? No, not for you. Just Ben Affleck. <laughs> He's just friends with all the boom operators. <laughs> all his friends just stand with their hands in the air, just like, yeah, I'm doing good. <laughs> Got hey, you, bro. Yeah. Uh, NASA was consulted in order to get aspects of space and space travel for this film, specifically in relation to Mars, with the most accuracy possible. Uh, NASA is federally funded, yet charges no one, including private for-profit organizations, any fees for use and access to its archives and uh, consultancy. So, yeah. They, they went, hey, NASA, can you help us out with this? And they went, sure. We're meant to. I mean, to be fair. <laughs> that is like, our job. <laughs> one, you know, that sort of you know, science and information should be out there for people to access. You know, it shouldn't be behind, you know, money. And sad as it is now when uh, in this day and age, NASA st- and other science and science institutions, they still are competing against a lot of other, uh, how would you say, different 
ideologies that provide competing answers mm. and I think when it's so important for the scientific community that they just be very at the very least trusted mm. they, they love transparency mm. uh, it helps it does so, so basically they're being paid with exposure yeah oh, good mm. just like an actor mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah except NASA can survive on, on that uh, but maybe there'll be another generation of you know astrophysicists coming up because of films like this mm. because of that free information definitely in the beginning it is mentioned that a compromised spacesuit would cause decompression giving someone about a minute to live this is scientifically correct contrary to popular belief acute decompression in space or on a planet with very low pressure like mars does not cause the body to immediately explode or expand Major effects include confusion, loss of consciousness, and some subderminal bleeding, but it is generally agreed that a healthy human body could survive one minute in vacuum without life-threatening consequences. One minute. Yeah. Yeah, I can't think of anything I can really accomplish in one minute. Um... I mean, when you consider the scene towards the end when he's, you know, uh, duct-taping his, his spacesuit. Now, he wasn't particularly healthy. At that point, I gather, since, you know, two years on potatoes and not much else. Mm. Not even ketchup. Like, you know, he's run out of that. Mm. I think, is, a, is it, am I wrong in saying that one of the most famous and well-known decompression scenes now would be Star-Lord from Guardians of the Galaxy? Famous scene where he takes his helmet off. Yeah, probably. Yeah, and but... he has, like, and instead of it being, like, a mess, like an old 80s horror film of mm. just explosive human, it's a, it's a rather horrible kind of slow freeze to death sort of like situation yeah 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 i think like that myths are getting busted they 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 certainly are i wonder how they test this theory though do they just like send someone up there and go okay you're ready we're gonna wrap your helmet and we'll see what happens the scientific method (laughs) yeah look it's science leave no man behind as long as it's ethically cleared Mm -hmm. yeah okay get those forms in (laughs) now i know i said uh when we started this trivia section that this trivia was going to be about the film i did sneak some mars trivia yeah good uh specifically about the atmospheric pressure on the martian surface averages uh about 0.087 psi which is above the six percent of earth's mean sea level temperature of 14.69 psi it is so low that a fierce storm uh, as it's put in the film would be something akin to a very light breeze messing up your hair uh, author andy weir admitted this was his biggest inaccuracy in the story due to the low air density sound would not travel like it does on earth and you would have to stand next to someone and scream for them to hear you providing you could survive the freezing cold temperature poisonous atmosphere and lack of pressure very mature response to all that science. <laughs> I'm an artist. It's, it's, it, never, it never really ceases to amaze how much of our planet is defined by the atmosphere. I watched a, a countless documentaries on it. I read about it all the time. And it still is just... Especially when we compare ourselves to our two closest neighbours, Venus and Mars. It's just really the atmosphere. It's what we've coated our planet in that gives us everything that we're lucky to have. Mm. Um, you give it a little too much atmosphere and we cook and not enough and we are a vacuous, empty wasteland like Mars. And Trump. (gasps) (laughs) So what you're saying is 
we should probably try and not mess with that. Yeah, well, I think there's definitely, like, uh, frequently through it, for, for me, I felt like when I'm watching The Martian, there were these high-stress moments, and then constantly you just come to this imagery of Earth where there's just blue, there's green, there's white, or the abundance of clouds, and everyone, no one is struggling to find potatoes here. Mm-hmm. No one is struggling for water. It's kind of like this oasis of, oh, how lovely, mm-hmm. a wonderful little safe, hospitable, nurturing planet. I mean, it was 2015, so... Oh, yeah. Uh, It hadn't happened yet. (laughs) (laughs) Ridley Scott claimed that one of the more difficult scenes to direct was how to explain to the audience the hexadecimal system Watney used as a code to communicate with the Earth. Scott has admitted it was hard for him to understand how it worked. Fair. I still don't quite really understand how the hexadecimal system works. It's just a grid, isn't it? Mm. We just reference a grid and then there must be some standardised template that exists somewhere that people can reference. Well, yeah, they, they, I mean, they show it in action. They show you the, the reference guide that they use. Even with showing that, though, it, it doesn't break it down and go, so when you point at this letter, it means this. Or... Well, I don't, I don't think they need it to. I think, yeah. like, we can assume that it. humans who are left with the ability to communicate will find a way. Uh, I was expecting, you know, it's either going to be hexadecimals or they're going to do the old Morse code with the static. Someone will figure it out. Uh, yeah. Like, either way. They don't, I don't think it's that important. Like no. That. Still pretty cool. It's one of those things that every now and then they do something and you're like, oh, that's cool. I like they did that. Uh, The cloak and dagger meeting to uh, propose the rich Purnell manoeuvre is dubbed Project Elrond after the Council of Elrond in the Lord of the Rings series. Uh, When this name is questioned, the first character to explain it is Henderson, played by Sean Bean. Bean, of course, played Boromir in the Lord of the Rings, the Fellowship of the Ring, and was present at said council. Sarah, we've established previously you're a very big <laughs> fan of Lord of the Rings. This is true. Um, how much did you love the Project uh, Elrond scene? I loved it so much. I mean, I may have yelled in excitement at one point. Mm. The fact that Jeff Daniels references Glorfindel. Right. I mean, Means they're know, not just character. posers who watch the film. They've yeah, they read that things. book. Yeah. <laughs> and I was just like, yeah, let's go to Gondolin. <laughs> Get me a Balrog. Let's go. And, you know, I was kind of, you know, waiting for Sean Bean to just be like, you know, I know this stuff because I was there. So just, you know, <laughs> trust me. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, that was that was quite exciting and, you know, very cool. In the nerdiest way Massive possible. Massive It was very cool. I loved it. I mean, I, I really enjoyed it. And I really enjoyed how in on it everyone was, except for Kristen Wiig's character. <laughs> I think you need that one person who's like, uh, what? I've led a normal life. So <laughs> yeah, forgive like, me if I don't get this yeah. reference. I maybe watched that film once. I don't remember who Elrond is. <laughs> <laughs> or Glorfin who? <laughs> yeah. Or the, yeah, yeah, that's... Glorfin Delph? Yeah. Glorfin Delph. He's the glorious elf. What's going on? Mm. Is Glorfin Delph the one with the ring? <laughs> Uh, finally, author Andy Weir wrote his own computer programs using real Earth and Mars alignment data to determine the best theoretical date for the Ares 3 mission to launch, which is why the story is set when it is. Wow, that is impressive. Truly exhaustive amount of research. Like, is that the, I would love to one day, and I'll never get probably um, live long enough to, to experience this, but like, if ever there are humans with an established colony on Mars, I would love to like understand their take on the martian which you know you know gathering around the old film a bit like how we might with like you know the old 30s or 40s films it's like oh how did they think the future would be mm. 
I'd yeah. like to see their like their take on the Martian would be cool because they might think it's just laughable from beginning to end because of how inaccurate it is. And ha. then they'll listen to us go, yeah, it's so realistic and go, oh, little did they know. Earthlings. <laughs> well, or maybe they'll love it. Yeah, I mean, I think it's really interesting the, the sort of combination of the, the sort of history of cinema with um, interplanetary or other space body exploration. You look back at one of the key films of the birth of cinema, which is um, La Voyage dans la Lune in 1902. Uh, for those of you who don't speak French, that's uh, The Voyage to the Moon. For those of you that haven't watched films from 1902, that's the one with the picture of the guy who is the man in the moon with the rocket in his eye. It's where that one comes from. And their depiction of the moon is that there were wizards and goblins living yeah. there, like these weird moon creatures. I've always adored how Wallace and Gromit found cheese. Yeah. Yeah, when they went there, that was, yeah, just slicing off a big bit yes. of plasticine cheese and eating it with the crackers. I loved the logic. It's we created. almost forgot the crackers, Gromit. Um, but the, but I think it's really interesting how, we, we, you know, we have that right at the birth of cinema and obviously... 70 to 80 years later we were able to go hey neil armstrong what was the moon like no no weird wizard people no no giant face that we crashed the rocket into but i I think it in that particular case i don't think it takes away from what that film was attempting to do what that film was attempting to achieve and the technical achievement that was that you know georges melier directed film i am curious as to whether or not let's say 100 years from now We've had people go to Mars. We've had people even go on a mission like the Ares 3 mission and live there for a period of 30 days. Uh, yeah, it, it's an impossible question to answer, but how do you think people weigh into the future, presuming we do get to Mars? We'll presuming reflect, we have a future. Yeah, we'll reflect on the Martian. It, it It's probably, I think, going to make its way into a list of... Um, like the explorative tales maybe so to speak um i compared it to robinson crusoe and i and i really believe it is like it it also kind of demonstrates how that archetype has developed and grown now we don't have a, a protagonist who's self-deluded to the point where he thinks he can claim this island as his own and rule it now you've got quite a humble character who's very much dependent on a community and very keen to get home. And also <laughs> claims a planet as his own. He does. It is, well, He's like, know, I'm well, a colonist. <laughs> and a space pirate. Yeah, <laughs> yeah he, he plays around with a lot of the sort of, I guess, power fantasy that, that people have with exploring new worlds. Um, without all the horrible trouble of an indigenous population already being there. So oh, those dastardly yeah, indigenous so populations. In this case, it's almost a guilt-free colonialism that we can definitely support with Mark Watney. It's Guilt-free and colonialism in one sentence. It yeah. only makes sense in space until we discover bacterial life. Yeah. Um, uh, that'll problemat- like make a problem for it. Yeah. Um, I think... It, I, I like to imagine that due to the amount of effort and research that has gone into the portrayal of Mars, it will be noted in 100 years' time as one of the first realistic portrayals of that environment. Mm. Um, and I, uh, outside of that, I can't really say. I don't really... I you don't, heard it here yeah. first. Yeah. I think it'll be... I think it'll endure. It'll stay. Well, uh, we'll find out in about 95 years. Yep. Um, Note the date and time. So, yeah, we'll, we'll see how what everyone thinks in 2115. If those young whippersnappers think I'm wrong. Well, ha ha. Fight me. Yes. But, uh, yes, we'll find out then. Uh, all that remains, guys, is for us to score the film. And, Sarah, you get to go first. It was your first time watching The Martian. 
what score would you give it out of 10? Yeah, I mean, you know, we have watched a couple of, you know, Martian-based films in the last couple of years. Mm-hmm. Um, I know the last one, I, I gave a rather low score. Mm-hmm. That was um, John was Carter? John Carter. Oh, I oh. think I gave it like a three or something. Mm. You were um, generous. <laughs> I was pretty generous. Uh, I, I like this one a lot better. Um, you know, I had a good time. I think if, if I was watching it alone, I would have cried several times. Mm. Um, but, you know, I had to man up. Yeah, because uh, I was in company, and yeah. you can't cry in front of company. <sighs> yeah. yeah, we would we would have been very judgmental, going like, "How dare she express her emotions?" I would have, yeah. I would have called people and been like, "Sarah is crying." <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, it's fine if I snort laugh all the time, but if I cry, oh boy, crossing the line. Yeah, too much emotion. Yeah, um, I am going to give it. Um, what's it going to be out of? I'm going to give it nine Glorfindels out of ten. Excellent, you. Stole the one I was going to use. Yeah, I did have another one, but then I was like, wait, Lord of the Rings reference. Yeah. yeah no, that's fair. Stake my claim. <laughs> what about you, Philip? Uh, what score would you give The Martian out of 10? I, I, it's impossible for me to be objective with a story I love this much. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I give a nine extinct potatoes out of 10. Mm. This poor potatoes. <laughs> yeah, it's, it is a really enjoyable film. I, I, had, a, I had a great time uh, watching it and... Yeah, I, I just think it's it's probably one that'll stick around for a week or two in in my sort of day-to-day life that you get with films sometimes. When you watch a film that kind of just, a lot of it clicks with you mm. and you're kind of like, oh yeah. I've got yeah. disco tracks. Yeah, replay. exactly. I'll be singing ABBA all week. Yeah, okay. But aside from the use <laughs> of ABBA, aside from the use of ABBA and Donna, Donna Summer, um, it, it, it I think raises some really interesting what-ifs, which I think... Is, is kind of like one of the key components of a good science fiction text mm-hmm. is it engages that sort of that novum that idea yeah, not to go fully into my degree but you know the, the, the you know it engages with what you know Darko Suvin was throwing down in the 70s yes. and just makes you go what what is the central question and how much it makes you reflect on what that question is and the idea of you know what is it to survive on another world um, and can you do it and can um a species of one world take the knowledge it learned and survive in hostile environments and i think that even though there's a lot of very specific circumstances that had to be there for the story to work um i i i think it really works tremendously well um so for me i am going to give it eight um hot disco tracks out of ten because i I do not share Mark Watney's uh, apathy towards disco. I think disco is pretty good. <laughs> uh, oh yeah, we know. <laughs> yes, um, and I would have, I would have been perfectly fine. I would have liked some variety, but if I was stuck with just one genre of music on on the planet Mars, I would be okay with it being disco. I would not. I would stab something mm. or oh, someone. Goodness. What would I? I don't know. What would you choose? Like if if you were well, if you were just lumped with disco, could you cope? I I, f- I feel like I would survive, but it would have an undeniable effect <laughs> on me. Like when they, you know, when they recovered me, I wouldn't I wouldn't call myself Philip anymore. I'd be like I'm I'm Groove Daddy. <laughs> There'd be some sort of permanent damage done to me. Yeah, um, yeah. I, I I suppose if I was to pick a genre of music, because this is now a really it's like Desert Island Planet. <laughs> I feel like the responsible choice is to say classical. Right? I'm also in like a bit of a classical, you know, but feel, like modern classical. Yeah, you know what I mean? Yeah, I feel like you'd just be like invoking 2001: A Space Odyssey <laughs> the entire time, though. Um, I'm thinking more like Olafur Arnold's 
kind of you know yeah. is that sort of it's classic in its style but you know it's very modern as well that's mm. true because yeah. it's yeah, it's it's instrumental and you've got some nice strings. Yeah, so you'd go with that. Nothing, yeah. nothing too sad and depressing. It's no, sad none depressing. of the songs that talk about being alone. That's you don't need lyrics, and this is yeah, coming no. from a lyricist. <laughs> yes. um, but you, you don't need that. Uh, yeah, like pretend happy music would probably keep you going if you were alone. Yeah. Like, See, pretend happy music would just get on my nerves because I'd be like, music, I'm not happy right now. Uh, I need you to reflect this. Yeah. Hello, darkness, my old friend. Yeah. yeah. What about yourself, Philip? What's the music? If you have to pick a genre, I guess. Or, you know, I will accept a single artist's collected works. Oh, my goodness. I couldn't possibly. I'm so bad at this every time. Like, when at a party, it's like, pick a song. I can't. I just can't do it. Um, I uh, panic. I, if I could, I'd just I grab whatever is in my parents' like CD player in their car. That mm. just seems to... That's the stuff I was raised on. I never get to choose it. And it's always just... It's very fair that way. It's just, Would that be disco-type music? It's probably going to be Willie Nelson. Oh, that's not bad. Yeah. Or Phil Collins. That's... Actually, you know, Phil Collins on yeah. Mars would be nice. I feel like there's some synergy there. Yeah, I could vibe that. Yeah. A lot uh, of Bob Marley, too. Yeah. For me, it would be either the collective works of the Electric Light Orchestra, because they are my favourite band. And also, I think they fit the space thing very well. Um, or to continue the space thing, I would just go with the Steven Universe soundtrack, because they've got a song for every mood. <laughs> um, and I just have been really enjoying those soundtracks um, being released. Uh, but that's nothing to do with The Martian, so we're going to end the review here. Uh, so, uh, Dr. Sarah Curtis and uh, Philip Groove Daddy Hutton, thank you so much for joining me on this episode of the Cinema Catch-Up Club. Thank you for having us. Yeah, Stephen. thanks for having us. And for those of you listening at home, thank you for listening in. Um, hey, we're on lots of different places that you can subscribe to listen to us, and one of those places is iTunes. Why am I picking out iTunes, I hear you ask? Well... It's because you can actually review this program on there. We do reviews of films. It's only fair that people get to review us. So if you want to review us, uh, go on there. Leave us a star rating. Uh, I think five stars is a fair rating. I'd go for that. Yeah, yeah. yeah just as a random number. It's a good number. I like it. You can five, pick another one. Yeah. Pick it out a, of a, a good vibe with five. Yeah, mm. yeah. So, you know, leave five stars. Leave your comments. You know, say what you like. Leave, tell us your uh, music choices if you were stranded on a planet and you have one genre. Um, by all means, please do that uh, over at iTunes. We're also available to be listened to on Spotify and SoundCloud and lots of other uh, delightful services. Um, if you want to get in touch with us in a slightly more direct way, there is also the Facebook page. Just search for the Cinema Catch-Up Club there, give it a like, and you'll get news and updates as we go week to week, bringing you a fresh new episode every week. And for those of you who want just a little bit more, just a little bit extra ketchup on the potatoes that we're serving up, uh, then please go to our Patreon, patreon.com forward slash CCUC podcast. There's bonus material, all sorts of extra goodies, and you get access to it for as little as a dollar a month. That's $12 a year, which is cheap. Uh, but that is all for this week. So until next time, goodbye. Groove Daddy. <laughs> That is your official name on this program. You have been listening to a Thought Jar Productions podcast. For more information, please visit thoughtjarproductions.com.